We've been going through Philippians. We're in chapter 3, and we've been talking about how to enjoy the rest of your life. How do you enjoy life? One of the things that Paul gets into about having, enjoying your life is succeeding in life. You're going to enjoy life more with success than with failure, right? Failure is a bummer. Success is fun. And God is saying, I want you to enjoy life. I want you to. So he uses Paul. Paul mentions 17 times in the book of Philippians about rejoice, enjoy, joy. Just those words, 17 different times. Because the whole theme of the book is how to enjoy life. Is it amazing that as Christians, it's not just about enduring life and then we get to enjoy heaven. You just endure it and you suffer and you make it through. And then you have a good time in heaven. That's not biblical. God wants you to have a good time on earth and a good time in heaven. Both. So let's look at this. Let's look why he's talking about this. You know, I've, I've read books on how to succeed. I've seen books on how, how to succeed. What I noticed is some of the people that write these books have never succeeded. They've never succeeded. So... I want to get information from somebody that's been successful, that did it. Now, when it comes to Christian life, living the Christian life, who's the best person that we could turn to as the model of success? Jesus, obviously. Jesus would be the first one. But other than Jesus, who would you look at? I would think Paul. I think Paul would be the guy. He wrote, of all the books in the New Testament, he wrote the most of them probably over half the books, not over half the pages, but over half the books. And he's the number one guy in the Bible that's trying to tell us how to have success. And he was very successful as a leader in the church. So I want to look at him, something that we know has a a track record of success. And in Philippians 3.17, here's what he says. And I don't think he's saying this to be arrogant. He says, Join together in following my example. That could sound arrogant, right? He says, you guys want to live a good Christian life? Follow me. Do what I do. But I don't think he's saying that to be arrogant. I think he's saying that because people need role models. And he knows that. He knows how we are. We need people that we can look at. A real human being that's living it and saying, okay, I I understand now. It's not theory I'm seeing it lived out before me. He said, join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. He said, don't just look at us. So he's talking about some of the people that are uh, working with him. Don't just look at us, but follow the example of other people that you see living the good life. For example, if you want to have a great marriage, get advice and look at examples of people that have a great marriage, Right? Because they're doing it. They're succeeding. If you want to be a great parent, read the books and stuff like that of people that are really successful parents that are actually doing it. Like not theory, but these people actually do it. There's a lot of theory, but you want the the real example of success. You want to be successful in your business? Read the books and get the info from people that are successful in their business. Talk to those type of people. So it's not just theory. This person really knows the ins and outs because they're doing it. You want to have a good example of how to live a Christian life? Look at Paul, somebody that's really doing it. Paul's pattern for successful living in that he shows us four things to do to have success in life. This works with any area of your life. Number one is evaluation. Face my faults. Face my faults. The first thing he says, if you want to be successful, is admit your faults. Admit your weaknesses. Know what they are. Be aware of your shortcomings. If I'm running a business and I'm not good at accounting, I better hire somebody that is. I can't act like I'm good at it if I'm not. I've got to hire somebody that is so I can cover those bases that I'm weak at. Pride is what keeps us from confessing our weaknesses, from admitting them, from saying, hey, I don't have it all together. We're weak in certain temptations. There are certain temptations that will tempt you. There's other temptations that don't tempt you. 
because everybody's different, right? We're all tempted in different ways. But you need to know what those temptations are so you can avoid them. If you act like, oh, I've got it all together, I'm Mr. Perfect, you're going to mess up. You're going to allow yourself to get too close to the fire and you'll get burnt. You have to know what your temptations are. Okay, that's my temptation. I'm going to keep some distance there. You need to know what your weaknesses are with every area of your life. Look at Philippians 3, 12, and 13. Paul was being honest about his faults. He said, not that I've already obtained all this or have already been made perfect. I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. Now, if there's anybody that could claim to be perfect, you think it's Paul. He was such a godly man. But he's saying, and this is when he's old, it's the end of his life, and he's saying, I'm not perfect. I still mess up. I still have my weaknesses. See, here's what happens if you want to have success. You have to be honest with yourself about who you really are, your strengths and weaknesses, okay? You want to be honest about, I'm good at this. I'm not good at that. Successful people know their limits. They know where they need additional help. That's why they succeed. Look at the Good News translation of that same verse. I don't claim that I have already succeeded or become perfect. He's never trying to say to people, follow my example because I want you to see perfection. No. He says, follow my example because what you're going to see when following my example is reality. That you're going to strive and mess up. You're going to have faults. You're going to make mistakes. And if you stay faithful to God, he'll still use you. He won't give up on you. you still have success. Aren't you glad that God's in the picture? So look at me. Even though I mess up sometimes, I'm trying. You see, I try, but I mess up. God still works it out. So don't lose faith. Don't lose faith. You're not going to be perfect, but I'm not either. And what happens is when you're honest with yourself and your weaknesses, then you know what you have to develop so you can make the changes. You know which areas you have to expand on. You know what books you need to read for learning because you know what your weaknesses are. You know what you need to do. If you're prideful and you're not willing to be honest about your mistakes and weaknesses, you'll never get the resources you need to improve. But you want to read books. You want to watch DVDs. You want to listen to CDs. You want to talk to people. You want to do everything you can to grow in the areas that you're inadequate in. Areas of fault. That's what Paul is saying here. He's continuing to grow and develop and stretch his limits. That's how you become successful. But you don't become successful acting like you have it all together. That's not success. When pastors put on a front that, boy, you know, they've got their whole act together all the time, that does nobody any good. That doesn't do anybody any good because nobody has it all together. Pastors have to be real people because you know what putting on a front is? It's lying. It is. It's deceiving. So you have to be the real you, and no matter who the person is in spiritual leadership, and by the way, as an adult, you're in spiritual leadership in your own home, right? Because that's who people, your kids look at. Who's ever in spiritual leadership you're not a good leader by covering up and, and putting on a front and acting like you're perfect. You're a good leader by being honest, and they see you growing and developing and not giving up. They see you trying to better your life. And that kid grows up thinking, okay, that's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to be honest with yourself and then try to improve it. I think that raises healthier kids than acting like I'm perfect and what's wrong with you, kid. Honesty is always going to be better. Proverbs 28, 13. You will never succeed in life if you try to hide your sins. Confess them and give them up. Then God will show you mercy. I want God's mercy. He says you're never going to succeed if you try to hide your sins. But if I'm honest with my weaknesses, I get help. Does that mean... That you have to share your sins with everybody? 
No, it doesn't mean that. But it means this. If you want to be successful, you need to share your sins with somebody. Somebody that can be a resource and help you. I think I like how Alcoholics Anonymous works. They first have to admit that they have a problem. And who are they sharing it with? A group of people that understand their problem that are trying to help them get better. There are some people that you don't need to share anything with. But your weakness is your sins. You've got to have somebody or a group that you can trust, that you can share with for help. Because you want to succeed in life. And not just, like I said, with sins, but with anything in your life. If you have, my weakness as parenting is I'm too lenient. Or I'm, my weakness is I'm too, you know, strict. Or whatever it is. You want to see it. The worst thing is the parent that's too strict and they can't tell. They can't see it. That's really bad. The parent that's too lenient and they can't tell. They can't see it. They don't know it. They actually think that they're in the middle. That's bad. You've got to be able to see where you really are so you can make the changes for a healthy, good life. So he's saying, God wants you to enjoy life. He wants you to enjoy life by succeeding. And to succeed, you have to first know your weaknesses. Because how do you get better if you don't know what to get better on? How do you get success if you don't know what you need to do to get success? You have to have a clear picture of your strengths and weaknesses by being honest with yourself. And if you're not sure, ask those closest to you. Because they might be able to say, well, there is something here. It's hard to hear. It's hard to hear because inside, we want to feel like, well, I know I have that weakness, but nobody else sees it. (laughs) It's not true. They see it. So you need to hear from other people. Number two, the second thing he said is, okay, you want to enjoy life. To enjoy life, one of the things that helps you enjoy life is to succeed. So number two is elimination. Forget the former. Eliminate all the past. What does he mean by this? Don't let your moods manipulate you. There are things like grudges from the past. You're so angry about everything that happened in the past that you become an angry person now. You're an angry person now. If you don't eliminate that from the past, you're going to be angry. It's going to ruin your life. It's going to ruin others. It's going to ruin your kids. It can be grudges. It can be guilt. You feel so bad about something that you did in the past And you've got to forgive yourself. It's over. It's over. Let it go. You can hang on to that and be guilty and guilty and guilty, and it ruins your life. Or you can say, okay, I did that. I've learned from it. The the key thing is you don't want to make the same mistake over and over again. I did that. I've learned from it. Okay, that's the past. I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm on the right track. It could be from grief. In the past, you went through a major loss. And it really grieves you. And because you're grieving all the time, it's affecting you now. It's affecting your future. I know of this um, family that lost this child, their child. And obviously it broke their heart. And they were just in so much mourning. And it started extending for quite a long time because it was their child. But they had two older kids. You know, they had two kids that were still children, but older than the child that died. And what happened was when the kids needed the parents the most, because they also lost their brother, when the kids needed their parents the most, the parents were in so much grieving they had nothing to give to their kids. See what I mean? Because those parents, they didn't let go. doesn't mean that you can't remember it. You're going to remember it. But because they didn't let it go, their own kids were suffering. Because here's what the kids lost. The parents lost their child the kids lost their brother and their parents. The parents were in the home, but they lost the parents. The parents weren't, they were emotionally absent to these kids that just went through the most traumatic thing. The most traumatic thing could be possible is for, an, for us to lose a kid. But I think when you have little kids in the home still and they lose the brother or sister and the parents emotionally, maybe that's more traumatic. And what they had to do as parents is they had to let go of the loss so they could hang on and save what was left. Because they were going to lose them all. They were about to lose 
the other kids. Emotionally, the damage. So, with grief, you have to let it go. With grudges, you have to let it go. With guilt, you have to let it go. Those things, you have to work through mourning, the natural process of mourning. But you're working through it to get back on your feet and say, but life is still going on. And I've got to keep going on. I've got to keep going forward. I can't stop what I'm doing. When Philippians 3, 13 says, but this one thing I do, forgetting what is behind. I think, how can you forget it? How can you forget it? Our brain remembers everything. How do we forget it? Isaiah kind of explains it better. Isaiah 43, 18. Forget the former things. Then he explains what that means. Do not dwell on the past. That's what it means. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. So it's not that you don't remember that thing that you feel guilty of. You've just chosen to not dwell on it anymore. I remember it happened. I've made a decision. I'm not going to dwell on that anymore. I believe God forgave me. I've got to forgive myself and go. Go forward. And now you can start succeeding in life. That grudge, that person, no matter how bad it was on what they did to me, and it might have been really, really bad, I have to forgive and let it go. It's like this. Shame on them for what they did to hurt me. Shame on me for keeping the hurt and ruining my life. You've got to forgive them, let it go so you get on with your life, so you're not being resentful and angry anymore. The grief. It's not that you don't know that it's there. You're choosing not to dwell on it anymore. Okay? It's still going to be in your mind. You're going to go through certain things in life that remind you. And, you know, you're going to go through that small feeling of grief or, you know, smaller within time. But you're choosing not to dwell on it. You're not going to let what that person did to you, whatever the things is, what you've done, to ruin your future. So you have to get up and go. You have to go. He says, see, I'm doing a new thing. God is saying, life's not over. See, here's our problem. Everything in us wants to remember the guilt. Everything in us wants to remember the grudge. Everything in us wants to remember the grief. Everything in us wants to remember those things. And we don't want to remember the good thing, we don't want to remember things that would help us to forgive that person. With the grief, we want to put our focus more on the good times we had with that person, those fond memories, so we have all these happy things that we think about them. Yeah, I remember this, I remember that. But we don't want those things to ruin our future. There's two things that we need to forget. One thing I mentioned already your failures. I can't keep hanging on to all the things I did that weren't successful, that weren't good enough, and have a pity party and feel bad about myself. Do you know, the majority of people that have made it really big in life didn't get there until after they were 50 years old. Okay? The first from age after college or whatever, or high school on, those first 30 years after that point, they tried things that failed. They tried something else and they failed. They tried this and it failed. I'm not talking about people that inherited riches. I'm talking about people that built it from the ground up. Okay. They tried a lot of stuff that failed, but they learned along the way. And they never gave up. And they kept, okay, well, that doesn't work. It became an education for them. And through life and trying things, they learned what works. They didn't let their failure stop them. Like, I tried this, oh, it failed. Oh, I'm such a loser. I'm just going to get a regular job and just pay it safe because I don't want to risk failure again. That's not what they did. That's what 95% of the people do. That's not what that 5% did that made it. You know what happened? They wouldn't let the loss ruin their future. They say, okay, that didn't work. Maybe if I try it this way. They realized, 
I've got to let go of those failures. I've got to learn from them and then let it go. Because if I see the failure as a part of who I am, I'll stop trying and I'll be satisfied with a low goal. But if I see the failure as a part of my learning curve, then I can keep going forward and do great things. The second thing for success so you can enjoy your life is you have to let go of your past successes. Not your failures, your past successes to do well in the future. Let's just look at church, for example. Let's say that there's a church and they were really successful in the 1950s. So they said, oh, that really worked in the 1950s. Let's build a church like that. Do you think it's going to work today? No. What they need to do is let go of that success. Because that was 1950, things change. Let's say 1980s. They say, oh, yeah, in the 1980s, we did this and this. It was the greatest church ever. Is that going to work today? No. What they have to do is let go of that success. Because if you hang on to the success, you try to live that way, and things are changing. Music's changing. Everything's changing, and it's changing fast. If you want to be successful, you've got to let go of the past past successes, so you stay current. There are businesses that in the year 2000 were on the top of the world that aren't even in business anymore. How does that happen? I don't think 2000 was so different than today, but there are businesses that didn't keep with the times. They're gone. They don't even exist anymore. So success is to let go of your past success so you can keep moving on. It's the same thing. You learn from it, but then you let it go. Sometimes the principles still work today, but the methods change. What we do is we try to hang on to that method. Like, this is the way we did it, and we try to hang on to the method, and we're missing the point. There's a principle behind it that's probably valid maybe forever, the principle behind it. It's the methods and how you go about it that are constantly changing. And if you don't keep up with the times, the winner becomes a loser. The way we train for the Olympics. The guys don't train today like they did in the 1960s. We use steroids now. No, I'm just teasing. Just teasing. But the training method is different, right? Some of the things that they, the way that they train in the 60s the technology of how the body works better is known. They have the machines that they can film you and do things. And they can sharpen you up in a way that if the 1960 people had what we had today, even the equipment, the performances would be better because they're constantly learning. You don't do things exactly how you did it in the past. In Luke, Jesus was talking about the kingdom of God, meaning the direction that we're going as Christians. And he said, Jesus said, anyone who starts to plow then keeps looking back is of no use for the kingdom of God. He's not trying to, trying to tell farmers, if you're plowing the field and you look back, you're not good for God. You're not good for heaven. He's not talking about farming. He's talking about life. But what he's saying is, a farmer knows that if you're going to plow the ground in a straight line, you do it by looking this way, not that way. You start looking that way and you're going off in some, you're going in the wrong direction. He says, any farmer knows to plow and get your goal, which is ahead of you, you keep your eyes on your goal. And then you go straight toward there and you have a straight line for plowing the field so you can grow your crops. And what he's saying is, it's the same thing spiritually. If you want to grow spiritually, you're not going to grow spiritually by keeping your eyes on everything that happened in the past. You grow spiritually by keeping your eyes on the future. I have to let go of some things in the past. I have to forgive myself. I've got to forgive other people. There's things that you have to let go of. You learn from them, but then you put your eyes on the future. A third thing that he said, Paul said, is if you want to enjoy life, one of the ways to enjoy life is to succeed 
And if you want to succeed, you need to concentrate on certain things. Focus on the future. You need to concentrate on the future. Because you don't just succeed by forgetting about the past. I can forgive myself for stupid things I've done in the past. That doesn't mean I'm going to do anything good in the future. I can forgive other people for things that they've done, and now I'm not resentful anymore. That doesn't mean I'm doing anything in the future. It just means I'm healthier now. But if I want to have a good, successful future, I've got to focus on the future. Look at Philippians 3.13. But this one thing I do, straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal. He had a goal. Having goals is biblical. Paul said, this one thing I do. He didn't say, I'm successful because these are the 85 things I'm trying to do. Guaranteed lack of success. To be successful at anything, you have to focus on that goal, which means you have to eliminate other things. For example, just think about Olympics again. If I want to be the Olympic champion at whatever the event is, for me to do that, it's going to take a diet. I'm going to eat a certain way. I'm going to exercise a certain way, a certain amount of hours, and I'm going to have to do it on a regular basis, which means if I'm adding that three, four, five, or six hours a day into my schedule, depending on the event, because some events take more time, if I'm adding those six hours a day into my schedule every day, that means I have to take out six hours of what I was doing before. You can't add in six hours to your day without taking out six hours. We don't have a 30-hour day. So there's a lot, probably a lot of good things I'm going to have to do without if I'm going to reach that goal to have the best things. So you have a goal for your marriage. To meet that goal for your marriage, maybe it means you have to have a date night. But to do a date night, and if you haven't been doing it, so you have to take something out. Maybe you're used to going home on Monday nights and watching TV. But if Monday night's going to be your date night, you have to take TV out to add marriage date in. So with every goal you have, there's going to be changes, and you're going to eliminate some things out of your life. And some of those things that you eliminate are good things, but you're eliminating good things out in order to have the best thing. He said, but this one thing I do, straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward that goal. He's pressing forward. Concentration is so powerful. You take light. It still amazes me, even though we've been able to do this for years and years, but it just blows my mind that we can get light and concentrate it, and it becomes a laser and cut through steel. I'm thinking, light? We just cut through steel with light? You know how they do surgery now, laser surgery? We just went in there and with light? It's just like it blows my mind. You can take something light, and when you concentrate it, it can do amazing things. When you're concentrating on anything, when you're giving it your focus and you're concentrating on it, it's going to be better. It's going to be better. You might shoot for a, a goal that's even too high for you to reach, but when you're concentrating on it, you're probably going to get a lot farther than what you ever thought you could. Concentration does a lot of things. Pros, they become pros through concentrating on things. They're concentrating on things so they can perfect them, so they can be the best that they can be. I've heard of a lot of leaders, almost all of them, that are high up. They have their goals written out. They know exactly what their goals are for the business, for example, to be the best. And not only do they have them written out, they put them in front of all their workers because they know they want to get the whole group on the right page, on the same team. They have the goals written out. There's something about that. You know it. You have it memorized. You're running after it. Look at 1 Corinthians 9.24. Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? So he says, everybody runs, but only one person gets the prize. Then he says, run in such a way as to win the prize. Run in a way that wins. Why is he saying that? 
Because it means that you could run in a way to lose. Right? What does that mean? Well, I haven't been eating the right diet. I'm trying to be a runner and I'm eating all this greasy food and it's not good for my body. I haven't been practicing every day. You know, I don't feel like going to practice today. I'm just going to skip it. I'm not running in a way to win. So then when I get in the race, I lose. He's saying run in a way to win. Why would he say that? Well, I'll tell you what. We're talking about how to enjoy life. It's more enjoyable to win than to lose. It is. Yeah. You just watch any game on TV and watch the athletes that lose and how they feel, and they don't look like they've enjoyed life too much. The ones that win, they're jumping up and down. It's more fun to win than to lose. When he says, run in such a way as to win the prize, the way he's wording it is, you want to be the best you you can be. So let's say you're running in such a way to win, you take eighth place. But you ran in such a way. For you, taking eighth place, you think, that's the best I've ever done. That's the best I've ever done. I'm now in the top eight. Because you ran in a way to win. You were training. There's somebody else that say, that let's just say that they're really gifted and they took second place. And they didn't run in a way to win. And they're kicking themselves. And they're saying, I know I blew it. I, I didn't. I, I skipped on that training. I was supposed to do this. And they're beating themselves up because they took second place. Now, we look at him and we think, he took second place. He must be proud of himself. He's upset because he knows he should have won it because he didn't run in a way to win. The guy that took eighth place, man, you should have seen him before he was training. He was so far behind. It's less about the results compared to others. It's more about your personal results. Are you running in a way to win? Are you doing the things that you need to do to be the best you that you can be? God just wants me to be the best husband I can be, the best dad I can be, the best pastor I can be. That's what he's concerned about. Am I running in such a way as to win? Am I doing the best I can? That's all he wants for you. He's not asking you to compare with anybody else. He's saying, are you being the best that you can be? What was Paul's goal in 2 Corinthians 5, 9? So we make our goal to please him. That was Paul's goal. What's his goal? I just want to please God. I want to do my best. So God says, good job. Well done. His goal was to do his very best. That's all God wants from you. God cares less about whether you win or lose. You know how we say to kids, it's not whether you win or lose, it's how you play the game. There is something godly about that. You know, God cares less about whether you win or lose. He does care about how you play the game. He does care about, did you work hard? Did you do your best? That type of thing. The fourth thing that Paul said, you want to enjoy life? You need to be successful. To do that, you have to have determination. Fight to the finish. Fight to the finish. Nothing worthwhile happens without an effort. Everything that's successful, you fight for it. You have to fight for it. Nothing's going to be easy in life. You say, I want a great marriage, and you've got to fight for it. I want to be a great parent. You've got to fight for it. I want my business to do well. You've got to fight for it. In other words, you have to work hard. It's not easy. Some people think this is a goal, and when we reach the goal, then I'm going to be so happy. Life's good. What I have found is that it's the process of getting there that makes life great. I was thinking when I started coaching over at the high school, and our team was really bad. You have to know the sport of wrestling to understand what I'm about to say, and you have different areas. We're in the southern section, and there's the L.A. school district section, and the L.A. school district section in the area around here, this is a very weak sport for them. And if you lose to the local schools and all these schools, at least you can set up a couple of matches with the L.A. school district 
and win a couple matches to make your kids feel like they're not that bad. Hey, you won a match. All right. When I took over the team, we were so bad, we would lose to the L.A. school district. Okay, that's how bad we were. So we had a goal. When I came in, I said, okay, what's our goal? Their goal was maybe one day we'll win league. And I come in and I say, okay, the goal is we're going to win CIF. Now, CIF is uh, 80 high schools. League is five, five or six. We're going to win CIF. Winning CIF is like that wasn't even on their radar. They, they were hoping that they'd be good enough even just to make it there someday. They weren't believers at first. It took time to create that culture to get them there. But the process was fun because what happens is you go in there and you see how, where they are, and then you get so you can beat the city league finally, the LA city leagues. And then you see the team and you see the excitement come with these kids as they started beating now some of the southern section schools. You say, okay, wow, they're doing okay. And then you're training them and they start believing more and more. And then they have a kid that actually, because this was a phenomenal thing for them, they actually had a kid that placed in CIF, took sixth place. That's the lowest you can get for medal. And that was a big celebration. We did it. Somebody was good enough to get a medal finally. And to them, that was like unbelievable. And then we start reaching a point where we make it to CIF. We're actually good enough to make it to the CIF tournament as a team and lose a match and go home. You know, but we made it. And then we make it and win a couple of matches and win league. And then the next year, we end up winning it all. And not only that, to see that process where they were so bad, and then we keep winning and winning and winning, and we get to the finals. And just to tell you how bad, the final score in the last match was we were 52 and they were 15. And that was the closest match we had had. We just destroyed all the other teams in CIF. In fact, one team forfeited to us without it, because it was, it was going to be a skunk. We were probably going to get 14 pins. And that was a team that was good enough to make it to CIF. But they just didn't want to, like, let's wrestle them and just get creamed. That's not. And the celebration. Now, we won it. It was a great celebration. But then it's over. It's over. And you know what happens? Okay, what's our new goals? That's what happens. You win. You say, wow, that's great. High five, everybody. Okay, what's our new goals? You get over the celebration relatively quick. It just becomes a good memory. But it's over. It's, you know, you don't live there. It's, 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 we did it. Okay, now what's next? But the process, that's really fun. Because you think, like, this happened and that happened. See, if you start thinking the goal is what's going to make you happy, you're going to put all your hope in that. You get there, and then you're going to say, what now? That's why there's a lot of successful people that commit suicide. They get everything, and they're still not happy. If this can't make me happy, nothing will. It's the process. It's that whole thing. So enjoy the process. You're fighting that fight, and you're seeing what happens. Philippians 3.14, Paul says, I press on to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. He's pressing on. He's saying, I'm going for it. I'm straining. I'm wrestling with it. There's intensity there. It's that process. You, you fight hard. You achieve the goal, and you feel like, wow, we did it. We did it. But it's that whole process. Look at Acts 20, 24. I believe that this is Paul's life verse. But I reckon my own life to be worth nothing to me in order that I may complete my mission and finish the work that the Lord Jesus gave me to do, which is to declare the good news of the grace of God. His life verse. He says, this is why I exist. I exist to complete that mission that God gave me. I exist to finish the work of what? Getting God's grace out. Why was that so important to him? Because he knows that we live in a world that people are very insecure, that people are thinking, I hope I'm going to heaven. I hope I get there. And they're thinking, well, I'm not that bad. I never killed anybody. And all of their faith is in themselves. And Paul is saying, no, you're looking the wrong way. You're saying, I hope I'm good enough. I hope I did the right things. I hope it's me, 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 I, I, I. And he's saying, you're not even on the right track. You're not good enough. You're not. 
but thank God he's good enough to reach you. This is grace. Grace is a free gift that I did not earn. So it's like, I'm going to heaven not because I'm good enough. It's because of what he did for me. He reached me. And that was his message, this message of grace, that as long as you keep putting your faith in yourself, you're on the wrong track. In fact, it's very arrogant to put your faith in yourself. Well, look at how good I am. I deserve to be in heaven. It's very arrogant. It's very prideful. It's very demonic. Let me say why it's demonic. Pride and arrogance, when you read the Bible, are the one and two most used characteristics of the devil. What is pride? Look at what I did. I'm going to heaven because I'm all that. No. In spite of the fact that I mess up, God loves you so much that he gave his one and only son, dying on the cross to pay off the penalty of your sins, so that if you believe in him, you have everlasting life. So it's nothing about me. It's all about what he did. Yep. It's all about him. He was good enough to reach me in spite of me. Praise God. And then it's grace. So now I don't have to feel insecure. Like, am I good enough? Am I good enough? Am I good enough? What I'm asking is, is God good enough? Is God good enough? I know he is. If he's reaching me, it's done deal. If it's up to me, I might not be good enough. I praise God that's up to him, and that's the message that Paul was giving out. And he devoted his life to get that message all throughout the Roman Empire. You're on the wrong track. It's not about you. It's about him. And he wouldn't quit. He would keep going. He would sacrifice everything he had to get that message to the next city and the next city and the next city. He wouldn't quit. You read the book of Acts and you see everything he's doing. You think, wow, this guy covered a lot of ground. Because quitting is the opposite of determination, of fighting the fight. You never quit. You don't give up. There's words I don't like, like quit. Such a losing word. Impossible. I think all things are possible. There's certain words I just don't like. Look at Paul's last words. Some of his last words. It's in 2 Timothy. He said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord will reward to me on that day. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I kept the faith. That's the example. We're all in a fight. We're all in a fight to better our life, to succeed, to be the best that you can be. But it's not easy. You know, if you're coasting, that means you're going downhill, right? You can't ever coast uphill. So if you're coasting, you're going downhill. God wants your life to go up. He wants to give you the very best. In Philippians 3, 15 and 16, here's what Paul says. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things. He just said all the stuff that we're talking about. Then he's saying, if you're mature, you're going to do these things. If you're mature, you're going to face your faults. You're going to say, yeah, here's my weaknesses. I need to change that. Then I can succeed, which makes life happier, more enjoyable. If you're mature, you're going to learn from your mistakes, but then you're going to forget it, and you're going to say, okay, I've got, I can't focus on that anymore. I made mistakes. I've learned. I've got to forgive people. I've got to let those things go. And then you can enjoy life and succeed. He said, if you're mature, you're going to focus on the future. Even if I had success here, I'm going to keep being successful because I'm going to focus on the future. And he says, if you're mature, you're going to fight to the finish, which means it's hard work. If you're mature, this is what you're going to do. So the first thing he says is all of us who are mature, this is how you do it. It's the only way to be a mature follower of Christ. Then the next sentence he says, and if on some point you think differently, like if you disagree with me on something I just said, that too God will make clear to you. <laughs> he says, if you disagree with me, don't worry. Given enough time, you're going to see I was right. You're going to hang on to that grudge and think that somehow that's going to make you better. Like if I keep angry at them and, and you're going to see how it ruins your life and then you're going to wake up and say, I should listen to Paul. I've got to forgive him and move on. So he's just saying, even if you disagree with me, you're going to find out. God's going to allow life to teach you. But his hope is that they would learn from him. And then the, the next sentence, he says, only let us live up to what we have already attained. He's saying, be persistent. He, he says, just keep doing it. Live up to it. Just keep doing it. Don't give up. So that means keep evaluating yourself so you can better yourself. 
Because you take a step forward, and then you say, okay, I've arrived. No, no, no. You have to keep learning. Take a step forward. Okay, I've learned everything there is to know. No, you haven't. You keep taking a step forward. So he's saying, keep, be persistent. Keep doing that. Every time you go through a failure, because you're going to have failures in the future. Every time you go through a failure, learn from it. Get everything you can to help correct it. And then put it behind you and go forward. Don't let it ruin your future. Continue to have a goal. Once you reach that goal, make a new goal. But continue to focus on the future and fight the fight to the finish. In other words, get as far as you can get forward in your lifetime. Not compared to anybody else. You might be the next John D. Rockefeller and just do something. And everybody has different goals. It might be in sports. It might be with your business. You might be a, a teacher. And it's not about finances. It's about being the best teacher you can be. And your goal is to impact as many of these kids' minds as you can. But the goal is that you never say, oh, I'm retiring in three years. I've given years to the school district. Now I'm going to coast. I've got tenure anyway. They can't do anything to fire me. I'm just going to coast. Do the least I can. He's saying that's not mature Christianity. You know, he's being very clear here. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things, which means if I'm a mature Christian, I'm here and I'm saying, I'm going to make these three years the best they can be. I'm going to make the rest of my life the best of my life. There's no other way that we can live and still be mature. We have to have that type of mindset. There's two promises about persisting. In Galatians 6, 9, it says, let us not grow weary in doing good, for at the proper time you will reap a harvest if you do not give up. So he's saying, just keep going. It's going to pay off. If you don't give up, it's going to pay off. You might think, I've been going for a long time. Don't stop. It's going to pay off. Philippians, be confident of this very thing, that he, God, is referring to God, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He's saying, God's not through with you yet. If you're breathing, God's not through with you yet. So he says, he's going to complete it. He's going to keep doing it. So it's not just me not giving up. It's I'm also trusting that God's not giving up on me. And he's working it, and he's working it in my life, and he's doing his part. Remember, I've said this several times before. You have a goal, maybe for your marriage, maybe for parenting, maybe for your job or whatever, but you have a goal. Okay, if you set the goal, something that you can reach. Like, okay, my goal is for this to happen because I can reach that. Zero faith, because you already know you can do it. You're setting a goal, like my kids on the wrestling team. I don't want them to set goals that I know they can reach. The kid says, oh, I'm a senior now. I'm older than everybody else in this league. I've been wrestling longer than them. My goal is to win league. You know why he's setting that goal? Is he knows he can do it. It takes no effort. I want them to set goals beyond what they think they can go. Like, if you did everything possible to be the best you could be this year, what's the farthest you could get? And they said, well, I think I can place at least third in CIF and make it to Masters, whatever the next tournament is. Then I say, okay, so then I want your goal to be uh, to place first then in CIF and make it to state. Make it first. Make it to Masters. Okay, make it to state. You know why I want them to push for something that they don't think they can do? Because I even want them as kids to realize they have to rely on a power greater than themselves. And it's not the coach, by the way, that they're relying on. But I want them to learn, hey, you've got to rely on something, a power greater than you to get there. If you can't put something out there that's bigger than you, then you're shooting too low. You're shooting too low. And you know what happens? A lot of times they do farther than they did. A lot of times they reach that original goal that they had that was the very best that they could have done, but because they were shooting for more, they actually got there. But I've not seen kids get worse because they have a great goal. I've only seen them get better. They, they get better because they have something better to shoot for. And they know it takes, it's going to take more work, so they try harder. It's the same way with us. We have something bigger than ourselves, something that takes faith. I know I can get this far, so God, I want to double that I heard this one pastor say, I'm going to double my goal. And he went back and thought, the pastor that he heard speaking said, you know, have your goals God's size. 
And he said, okay, if they're going to double their goal, I'll just add a zero to the end. So if the goal is 1,000, he adds a zero. Now it becomes 10,000. It's more than doubling. It's 10 times. And he said he started praying that way and started doing things that way. And his church started growing and growing. And he, as things went on, he added other zeros on it. The church actually maxed out at 750,000 people in Seoul, Korea. That's at its highest state. He started sending people away from his church. Other churches in Korea grew just from the people that left his church. Korea used to mostly be a Buddhist country. They now have like seven of the top ten churches in size in the world. So big things can happen when you believe in a big God. I want us to enjoy life. I want us to succeed. I want us to have success. I want us to look back and say, that was fun. I want us to have goals for our marriage and look back and say, marriage was great. I want to see my kids grow up and think, I had such a great time raising those kids. I want to have a great relationship with them at that point. I want it to be successful in every way. I want to get to the end of my life and, and say, I didn't endure life. I enjoyed it. It was fun. Heaven's going to be great, but I actually liked being here. I love the people. I love the church. The church is the people. It's not a building, of course. I love the church. I, I want to live that type of life. And I'm glad that it's clear in Scripture that God wants that. It's not holy to think, oh, life's a bummer, but one day we get to heaven. If that was holy, then why would Paul write Philippians? He's saying, don't think like that. Think like this. I'm going to enjoy life, and I'm going to enjoy life for eternity because you're going to be in heaven the rest of the time. So let's pray, and let's give these things to the Lord. Dear Lord, we desire to succeed. Lord, we want that life that you want us to have. We want to enjoy life. We know you want us to. Lord, help us to follow these patterns for successful living that we can be honest with our faults and make the changes we need to make so that we can enjoy life, that we can forgive ourselves of the past, that we can forgive others, that we can let go of the griefs that we go through and enjoy the rest of our life. Lord, that we can have big goals, something big to shoot for. Even if we don't reach it, we're going to see great things happen and we're going to enjoy the process. And Lord, that we fight to the finish. We never say, oh, I'm too old now. I've done my bit. But Lord, that we just keep going and going and get the most out of life. Lord, I thank you that you want the best for us. Sometimes our biggest enemy is ourselves. You want so much for us and we're holding ourselves back. Lord, we're making a commitment today to go for you. Lord, 100%. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.